Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it, to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Oh, we shall leave it there. Friends, we've started uh, a series in this book of uh, Jonah, and uh, we're now just into the second message. And my message for today is running uh, from the Lord. Running from the Lord, just as Jonah was doing here. Oliver Cromwell, you may have heard of him, Lord Protector of England in the 17th century, a good man. Oh, he was, when he was having his portrait painted by the royal painter, uh, it said that he said to this portrait painter, Use all your skill to paint the picture, your picture truly like me. Roughness, pimples, warts and everything you see as you see me. Otherwise, I'll never pay a farthing for it. Well, friends, in other words, he didn't want to, his portrait to be photoshopped. He wanted his portrait to be an exact replica of him, warts and all. He didn't want any removal of the blemishes. And when you read Jonah, this is also what comes through. You have a book that is warts and all. Nothing is uh, kept back. You have a very full and open picture of Jonah. There's no hiding of his faults, no hiding of his mistakes, no hiding back, keeping back his disobedience. There's no photoshopping going on in this book of his blemishes. The account is retold with amazing candor and openness. Nothing here is covered up. And it's amazing, friends, because the author of Jonah is Jonah himself. Is Jonah telling us what happened in his own words? Amazing, isn't it? That he tells us about his own disobedience to the Lord in such graphic, step-by-step -step detail, how he fled from the Lord, and then how he slept in the storm when really he should have been deep in prayer. He was deep in a deep sleep. And he tells us also of his petulance. Uh, all, is, all of it is recorded in that last chapter. Amazingly candid uh, autobiography of what's happened to him. There's no vindication of his actions. There's no justifying of himself. There's no exonerating his name. In, in fact, we are left wondering at the end of the book, if, which I hope you've read, but you read, read at the end of chapter 4, we don't know what happened to Jonas. What was, he was left in this sort of state. Is he, is, is he still angry? Is he humbled? Is he repentant? And he doesn't leave himself in a good light. You're left wondering his exact condition at the end. Amazing that he would even leave us in such a way. Quite different, isn't it? From a book that's recently been published by a certain prince in a tell-all uh, story. The stories are... Uh, are all of this, uh, this prince and uh, he tells everything warts and all, but the warts are all other people's warts. So it seems hardly be, it seems to be anything about his own faults 
and his own shortcomings and his failures. It seems to be a book that reveals a lot, but nothing much about really the author. It seems to have been written to vindicate this particular prince, to justify his, his actions, to exonerate his name. So different uh, from the book of Jonah. Oh, friends, the Bible, that's how the Bible is. This is God's book. It's an open book. He, God doesn't gloss over the sins of his people. They are recorded for us. Even the sins of the prophets are recorded for us. They're not kept back. They're not uh, uh, hidden away. So you read in Genesis of Abraham telling lies on a couple of occasions. You read in 2 Samuel of that terrible sin of David, the king, the one who was a man after God's own heart, and yet he committed adultery. And he followed that up by scheming and planning the murder of someone, of the, the husband of that lady. Oh, friends, that's not uh, hidden from us. And then you go to the New Testament and we read there of Peter's cowardice. Three times he denied his Savior after having said, I will never do it. All the others will do it, never me. I'll never, I will never do such a thing. But he did, and it's all recorded for history to, re to read, and every, everyone can see what he did. So the Bible is very clear in this way. But friends, let's come uh, to the text uh, today, and we're looking specifically at verse 3 and 4. The Lord had told Jonah to arise and go to Nineveh and cry against it. Instead of promptly obeying, as he ought to have done, he promptly disobeyed and went in the other direction. He ought to have been shown a great keenness, a great desire. He should have put his heart and soul, his energy, into fulfilling that personal commission that he received from the Lord. He ought to have done it with all his might. This is what God has told me to do. Now let me obey that commandment. Let me put it into practice. Instead, he used all his energy, all his might to go in the opposite direction. He did all he could to muster in disobeying the will of God. And he ran, as we read here, west to Tarshish. That was a long way to go from where he was, from Joppa uh, in Palestine, to go all the way to Tarshish, which we think, but we cannot be exactly sure that it is on the southern part of Spain, but he would have had to go past Crete and then Greece on the right-hand side, go sail past Italy and eventually arrive at, uh, in Spain. So it was a long way to go, but he went in that direction when he should have headed east uh, to uh, Nineveh. But the point here I want to make is that energy that he should have used to obey the Lord, he used rather to disobey the Lord. Friends, that could be us. I'm called to serve the Lord. I'm called, yes, to worship Him, but I'm also called to work for Him, to do something for Him in life. Do I re redirect that energy that He gives me into other things? So much so that when it comes to doing the Lord's work, well, I'm tired. I'm too exhausted to do anything for the Lord because I've used up all the energy, the limited supply of energy that I have for other things, for the world. Yes, for our jobs, we have to do it for our work, our jobs. But are, are there other things that are eating up my energy? Uh, are there hobbies or pastimes? 
perhaps a personal project that I have on the go, and all these things take up and sap the strength that I have. So that when it comes to doing the Lord's work, well, I haven't got time. Do I give all my time, as it were, and energy to the world, the best of my time to the world, and just give to the Lord the dregs, the crumbs that are left over, just the leftovers that are for Him, the remains? Oh, friends, let us give our hearts, let us put our energy into obeying the Lord. But why did Jonah run when he received this commission? Why did he flee from the Lord's uh, presence? Well, I mentioned some things uh, last week. We mentioned that possibly he was uh, prejudiced against the, the, the Gentiles. He didn't really want to take the gospel, uh, the good news to the Gentiles. It was a long way for him to go, to travel from where he was all the way to Nineveh. And that was a, a treacherous journey, difficult task that was before him. He has to go single-handedly, so on his own, unsupported by any other prophet or any other helper. He has to go alone to this great city, the greatest city of the world at the time, Nineveh. And he has to preach to these people who are violent and who are opposed to God, who are idolaters, who are polytheists. And he's got to preach the message of judgment to them. So it was no doubt hard and difficult a task and an arduous thing that he was called to, a fearful thing. Perhaps he was fearful also of failure. How could he go and preach? Will they listen to me? Will they give ear to me? Will they respond to my message? Perhaps a little bit of fear. But, uh, and, and so he was reluctant to go. But those, I think, we think are really only side issues. They may have affected him, but really the main reason, the primary reason why he fled, he tells us in his own words in chapter 4. Chapter 4 and verse 2, when he prayed to the Lord, he said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. The real reason, the primary reason why he fled uh, from the Lord's presence was because he, he, he felt, well, God is going to be gracious to this people. God is going to uh, be merciful to them. They're going to repent. Perhaps he had some intimation that this is what was going to happen. And he didn't want that to happen. Why should the Gentiles, this nation that is opposed to Israel, the enemy of Israel, why should they obtain forgiveness and mercy from God? It should be kept only for the Jews. Perhaps also he felt that he would lose face as a prophet. He, had, he was there prophesying judgment. God had told him, cry against it. Cry against its sins. Prophesy against its sins. That God is going to destroy the city in 40 days. And when the people repented, well, and the, the judgment didn't come, well, he would, he would feel like a false prophet. His word didn't come to pass. So these are the, the things probably that weighed more heavily on his mind and caused him to flee in the other direction. Three times we are told here uh, that Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. In verse 3, Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And at the end of that same verse, he went down unto Tarshish 
uh, from the presence of the Lord. And again, verse uh, 10, when he'd, after he told the men, the sailors on, on board the ship, why he had fled, uh, they said to him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Well, what does that phrase mean? From the presence of the Lord. Jonah knew that God is omniscient, sorry, omnipresent, that God is uh, everywhere. There is no place where God cannot be found. God is uh, everywhere. As we read in Psalm 139, just read some of those verses again to you. Verse 7, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there thy hand shall lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Jonah knew this. He would be familiar with this psalm. And he knew that God was everywhere. He knew that he couldn't really run from God. God is not confined to one particular place like us. We can only be in one place at one time at one location, God is not like us. God is everywhere. He's always present, observing all things. What an encouragement that is for the believer to know that wherever I go, wherever, whatever situation I am found in, God's, my Father's eye is upon me. He will help me wherever I am, whatever uh, circumstance, whatever place, whatever location in this world I am, I can pray to God and He will hear my prayer even there. It is a, a great encouragement uh, to us. And I was even in China, and you know China is an atheistic country, and uh, even there, often when I talked with some atheists, they felt, yeah, it's good to have a religion. I said, why, why do you think that? He said, because if people have a religion, they know God's eyes upon them and it will stop them from doing corrupt things. Even the unbeliever knows that. God is everywhere. It's a sense, isn't it, uh, that, of, that He plants, has planted within us. Well, friends, if, if this verse, uh, this phrase, if it's not referring to God's omnipresence, then what does it mean? What does it mean, uh, the presence of the Lord? Well, it refers to the place where God, in an especial way, manifests Himself. A place where He graciously reveals Himself uh, to His people. The place where God is worshipped. The place where His Word is heard. The place where, in a particular manner, He conveys uh, His blessings to those who come before Him. We read uh, Genesis uh, chapter 4, and there we learnt about Cain, and Cain's punishment for murdering his brother uh, Abel uh, was, to, was banishment uh, from the presence of the Lord. Again, the same, the same phrase and the same idea. Uh, uh, just uh, uh, at, at that place, God used to meet with his people 
uh, uh, God was making manifest His people, uh, making manifest His name to His people. That was the place of blessing. But now Cain, because of his sin, well, he's banished from that particular place. He has to go out into the world, and uh, he has to he's uh, separated from the place where the Lord uh, is. In Jeremiah 23 and verse 39, uh, uh, God. Spoke there of forsaking Judah and of casting them out of his presence. Again, alluding to the time when, because of their idolatry, Israel and Judah will be sent into Babylon. They will be taken out from the place where God's name, uh, God had placed uh, his name, the locality where God had manifested himself to Israel and to Judah, the Holy Land, we could say. They would be cast away from his presence in the sense they would have to go into exile in Babylon. Well, in this sense, Jonah sought to flee from the presence of God, the place where God, in an especial way, manifested himself. Some of the Jews used to believe that the spirit of prophecy was confined to the land of Israel. So if, if that really is true, then all the more reason you can see why Jonah is fleeing. He's fleeing away from God's presence because he doesn't want to hear anymore the, wo the voice of God recommissioning him a second time, go to Nineveh. He doesn't want the, prophet, the prophetic voice to come to him. He doesn't want to hear anymore, uh, uh, Jonah, why are you delaying? Get, on your, get, get going, go to uh, Nineveh. He's, uh, he's trying to get to a place where God is not speaking where God is not manifest, where God is silent, so that he can ease his conscience and uh, not take up uh, this personal commission. The presence of the Lord. Well, friends, the place of the Lord's presence today is the local church. This is where God manifests himself. This is where the Lord uh, speaks uh, to us. This is where the Lord uh, condescends to bless us to bless those who come before Him. This is the place where we, our songs and our, of praise and worship arise together as a company of His people uh, towards Him. This is the place where God reveals Himself through His Word. This is where people can find the Lord. The presence of the Lord is here. Oh, friends, some believers, though, are running from it. Not all. Some, one young, young person said to me last week, how can I get close to the Lord? How can I get close to the Lord? That's a good thing to say, isn't it? That's what we should all be saying. How can I get close to the Lord? But some believers are saying the opposite thing. How can I get far away from the Lord and from His house? Sadly, there are a number I've come across, but if something has happened to their way of thinking, Something has happened maybe in their experience. They've had a bad experience at church and they uh, give up on church. So I'm not going to church anymore. I'm just going to stay at home and worship at home. They're choosing. They're running away from the presence of the Lord. I can worship God on my own. I can worship God with my family. That's enough. That's not biblical, friends. That's not biblical. That's what Jonah was doing post-COVID. COVID has had a bad effect on us, not only physically, but spiritually. COVID has uh, introduced many online worshippers. Uh, online worship, we're not against online worship, but online worship in, uh, has a place. Many people are unwell, 
Many people who genuinely want to be in the house of God, they cannot be in the house of God. And so the, uh, the online service is a help to them. It gives them access to something, at least on the Lord's Day. But generally speaking, uh, a number choose online worship out of preference. So many, so many, sadly, because it's inconvenient to go to church, it's inconvenient to get up in the morning and uh, to go out, so they become online worshippers. It's a kind of running from the presence of the Lord. One sure sign a person is backsliding or has backslidden is again, you hardly see them in church. Their seat is often empty. Maybe not every time, but their seat is empty. And for some reason, they stay away from the Lord's house. So running from the Lord's house. Of course, there are legitimate reasons sometimes people cannot make it to church. We understand that. But when there's a choice, then it's a kind of running. Oh, friends, verse 10, look at, look at it. You saw what the sailors said to Jonah when he said to them, he's running from the presence of the Lord. Why have you done this? Why have you done it? And maybe it will it'll take unbelievers to speak to us and say to us, why have you done this? Maybe our children will rise up and say, but dad, mom, used to go to church every Sunday. Why have you done this? Why are you running from the presence of the Lord? Maybe our neighbors who used to see us going out, dressed up with our Bibles in our hands, going to church, will say to us, why have you done this? Why have you stopped going? Maybe it will be someone like that, an unbeliever, who will rebuke us. Well, friends, let's not run from, but run to the Lord's house. Let's move on. Notice the deliberate steps that Jonah took to get away from God's presence. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare. He got on board. He joined with the other passengers, the sailors and captains on his voyage. And every step was a very deliberate step that he took, a choice that he made. I would say every step, his conscience also troubled him. It was a 50-mile journey from where he was, from Gath Hefer down to Joppa on the coast. And that's a long way to go with an uneasy conscience, a conscience that troubles you. You're not doing the right thing, Jonah. He had to look for a ship. He had to find a ship. Uh, he had to pay the fare. Don't do this, his conscience said. Don't do this. Go back. You know you're not doing right. You know you're disobeying. But all the time, he overread his conscience. He suppressed his conscience. He, he tried not to listen to what it was saying. After all, everything's going fine. Everything is working perfectly. Look, I had no accidents on my journey from down to Joppa. Everything was a smooth journey. I managed to find a ship, the, the fare. I have enough money for the fare. And now I'm here on the boat and we're sailing away and the skies are blue and the wind is in our favor. Oh, it's, this, is, this is like everything is in my favor. God is in my favor, isn't it? But he wasn't. God was not with him. God was not with him on the boat. Christ was not with him. He was carrying that disgruntled, unhappy conscience with him that wouldn't give him peace. But Jonah was now on his own, on the ship. Many choose to live life in this way. Many choose to uh, 
make a choice, a very deliberate, conscious choice, in spite of what conscience tells them. I don't want to be live for the Lord. I don't want to be in His presence. I don't want to serve Him. I don't want to have faith in Him. I want to live my own life separate from Him. Conscience says, no, don't do that. There is a God. There is a day of accountability. Respond to Him. He's a God of love. He's a God of grace. He will forgive your sins. Turn to Him. But they don't. No, I want to live in my own way. They suppress that inner conviction. They're determined to choose life uh, without God and to override that accountability that they know they will have to give, to journey into life without Christ on their own. Oh, young people, you're here today. To journey into life without Christ is the worst mistake you can make. Many young people think, well, I can manage. I can manage whatever life throws at me. I'm confident. Whatever problem comes my way, I can manage it. I can deal with it. I can handle it. Oh, friends, the sea is not always calm. Life is not always calm. Life throws many troubles at you. When you least expect it, sometimes it will throw horrible things at you. Painful things will come your way. Unwelcome news will come your way. Many moments of fear and panic. I'm not trying to frighten you. This is just realistic life. Sometimes we don't uh, see it. Oh, friends, you need Christ in the vessel. You need Christ in your ship. You need Christ with you. You need Him especially for forgiveness first. Primary reason. You need Him for salvation. You need Him to be right with God. But then also on the ocean of life, you need the Savior. Dare not go into life without Him. He alone can help you. He knew life is full of anxieties. He knew it. Do you remember how he, he, he told His disciples, don't worry about tomorrow. Your Father knows that you have need of this and that and this and that. He will provide for you. Trust in Him. Your Father knoweth that you have need of your clothing, of what you shall eat, what you shall drink. He knew that their life was full of troubles. So he said again to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Oh friends, we need someone who is stronger than us, somebody who is uh, better and wiser and more capable than, uh, than us in the boat, the ship of our lives. But Jonah, well, Jonah thought he was in the clear, isn't it? He thought, yeah, I'm free now. Uh, perhaps the Lord, uh, the Lord will leave me alone. But verse 4, look at it. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Sent out, hurled out, hurled out a great wind. The Lord hurled out a great wind in the direction of Jonah to stop him from going that way, the wrong way. The wind, friends, the sea is under the sovereign control of God, of Christ. You remember again what happened in the New Testament when the disciples were in the boat with Christ and the water, the wind was boisterous and the water and the waves were coming into the boat. And the, the disciples thought they were going to perish. And the Lord just got up and said, Be still to the storms. Be still. And immediately they obeyed Him. 
Immediately there was calm. The winds, and uh, Mark says, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the way, the sea obey him? Luke says the same thing in a somewhat different way. He commandeth the winds and the waters, and they obey him. They're in God's hands. A mighty storm er erupted here in Jonah, gigantic waves, and immediately the mariners, the sailors, they know their ship is in danger and is likely to be broken up, and they were terrified. But Jonah is fast asleep below deck. He's sleeping soundly. One, one translation, I think it's the Septuagint, says that he was snoring away downstairs. That's how deep a sleep he was in. Well, this wind that the Lord sent, friends, was a divine inter intervention and was actually a great mercy for Jonah. It wasn't meant to destroy Jonah, but to bring him back. The Lord had to do this terrible thing to him. The worst thing that could have happened to Jonah was if God just let him sail away all the way to Tarshish and never trouble him, just leave him alone. The best thing that happened to him was God intervened. God intervened to bring his servant back, to bring him back from his disobedience. God intervened to spoil the prophet's plan, even in this violent way, in order to bring Jonah to his senses again and bring him back to the right path. Well, friends, the Lord sometimes has to hurl a great wind in our direction. If we are determined to go on in a certain direction and we haven't prayed about it and we haven't sought the will of God about it in our lives and we're making a big decision in our life about something, maybe it's to move home or maybe it's to change jobs or maybe it's a certain person that I'm going to get married to, those big decisions in life. And I haven't waited on the Lord and sought his mind, but I've, maybe I've found the right person. This is the person I'm going to get married to. Or I found a, a beautiful dream house. Oh yes, I definitely want to move to this particular area without consulting the Lord. Or the Lord may hurl a wind our way. The Lord may intervene in kindness to disturb our plans. That more, the mortgage rates may increase as they have done. And then suddenly you, that house you could have afforded, you can't afford anymore. Or the person uh, decides that dream house that you wanted, he's going to sell it to another buyer who's bid even higher than you. That person you were dreaming about getting married to, well, she turns and says, no, it's, you're not for me. What's the Lord's doing? It's the Lord's interve intervening in a gracious way to keep you from going down the wrong path to bring you back uh, to himself and his will. Well, friends, the Lord, we can also say, will definitely hurl a great wind if any backslide. If, any, if a person is truly the Lord's and then they slip away and they go cold and they go away and away and away from the Lord, just like Jonah is doing here, the Lord won't allow them to continue in such a condition. If they are truly his, he will intervene in their lives. He will, may for a while allow them to go on in peace and some measure of calm. If they refuse the admonitions, the gentle admonitions to return and come back to him, then the Lord may have to deal with them in a stronger way. They can expect trouble, great trouble in their lives if they continue to refuse the Lord and to return to him. Just like that ship, almost broken, some, 
Sometimes with some uh, backsliders, but they really need uh, to be shaken, something terrible to happen in their lives. And then they will know, oh, it's because this thing has happened to me because I've departed from the Lord. Jonah knew that. Jonah knew the exact reason why this wind came, when it came. He says so later on in the chapter. He knew, that's why he said to the people, cast me into the sea, and then the wind will stop. He knew it was because of me this wind has come. And so when the Lord disciplines us, because maybe we are backsliding, I will know, I will know it is something from Him. Well, friends, in closing, you may be here an unbeliever also. Maybe you don't know the Lord as yet. You're running from the Lord. You're running from faith in Christ. You're running from yielding your life entirely over to Him. But if He has determined to save you, if He has set His heart, His eye, if you are one of His, one of His elect people, well, He will go after you. It's, it's pointless running away. It's useless to run away from Him because Christ will not leave you alone. If you don't respond again to those gentle invitations that He gives up, come unto me, come my friend, come to me, trust in me, He may have to deal with us in a a, a harder way. He may have to lovingly hurl something at us to make us come to our knees. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's a great loss. Something that will trouble us greatly. It's all to bring us back to Himself. So friends, you fight a losing battle if you fight against the Lord. But the Lord uh, works in wonderful ways. And we've considered some of these things these ways in which he works. Come into his presence. Value his presence, friends. This is the place of blessing where he blesses, uh, condescends to bless his people. Let us love it and love his house and love our great God and Savior. Let us close by singing our final hymn, number 458. My gracious Lord, I own thy right. 458. Mm-hmm.